Greetings, welcome again to Bible Talk. We're uh, today, uh, we're going to take a look at uh, some text in Exodus and talk about some of the ramifications for us in that regard. Um, and as we look at some scriptures, as I'm selecting some passages in my Through the Bible reading this year to highlight in our Bible talk, and hopefully you're you're also on some sort of program of Bible reading um, yourself individually. Uh, if you need help with that, uh, drop us an email. I'll be glad to help you out with that as far as getting a, a program or a, a schedule or something of that nature. So let's pray and then we'll jump right into Exodus. Father, thank you so much for your word uh, through Exodus and your deliverance of the people of Israel, the Hebrew children, from slavery in Egypt after 400 years to put them on a journey to the promised land. And I pray that uh, we will take a lesson from them and remember that you are faithful to your promises and may we have the faith that we need to, uh, to walk in the fullness of those promises, unlike that first generation that spent 40 years in the desert. So thank you, Lord, and uh, help us today as we process um, the account in Exodus of the deliverance of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, again, you may remember that in Exodus is the story, uh, the word Exodus is from the Septuagint, the first Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, and um, it, it's a Greek word. Ex means out of, and odos means way. So it, the, the title is based on uh, the primary message or the primary uh, content of the book about the way out, the Israel, the, the way out of Egypt. And we see how God called, uh, you know, allowed Moses to be born and was delivered. I thought it was kind of interesting when uh, Pharaoh said to the midwives of Egypt in chapter of uh, Israel, um, in verse 1, um, and the idea was that they were to uh, uh, throw them in the, in the, in the, in the river. Um, let me see, I, I forgot to look at that specific verse. Um, midwives feared God, etc. The king of Egypt, why have you saved the male children alive? And the midwives said, because the Hebrew women, I'm looking at verse 19 of chapter 1, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Um, they, and then down in verse 22, Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Notice that Pharaoh had commanded that all the male children of Israel would be thrown into the river. And his thinking was they would drown and be destroyed. But Moses was born and he was thrown into the river. And his mother put him in a basket to, to float. I just find that ironic and God's humor. Oh, we did what you said, Pharaoh. And yet <laughs> Moses was delivered uh, in the same, uh, doing the thing that 
not exactly the way that Pharaoh anticipated. I get that, but I find that really uh, God having a, a sense of humor, so to speak, and showing his, his creative uh, power of deliverance. Now, what we see in the other thing that we want to focus on today has to do with, um, with the, uh, the, the response of God to the miracles that he displays before Pharaoh. And, um, and Moses is being called. Moses was out in the desert, you know, 40 years old. He fled Egypt because he uh, had killed an Egyptian and it had been discovered. He, it was, he was coming to the aid of one of his Hebrew brothers. Moses was a high official in, um, in Egypt, uh, very respected, and he had killed or he had helped one of his uh, Hebrew brothers to avoid capture. And so the, the rest of the story is that uh, Moses fled because uh, it was, came to light that, that, that he murdered. And he was 40 more years in the desert. Then God appeared to him in the burning bush, called him to go back to Egypt and lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. So Moses, and then he later died at 120. So Moses' life was divided into four three 40-year segments. But then we find when God is calling Moses, he's telling him what he's going to do. Um, uh, and it says in verse 21 of chapter 4, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So Moses gives, or God gives Moses the end from the beginning so that he can have absolute confidence in going before Pharaoh. He says, hey, go, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he refers then to the last plague, the death of the firstborn, from which the Passover originated as Israel was instructed to put the blood on the doorpost and the angel of death passed over. And by the way, the blood was put on the doorpost on the sides and on the top. Isn't that interesting that it made the sign of a cross? I, I find that fascinating. And that's where Jesus uh, shed his blood later on. But that being said, he gives him the end from the beginning, but I want to focus on that phrase, uh, but I will harden his heart. Later on in chapter 7, um, then God gives uh, Moses another, uh, another promise that you know he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, etc., etc. Well, what we find is that the... Moses starts saying, okay, these plagues are going to happen. And at first, the Egyptian magicians are somehow recreating those plagues. And it's, it's, it's like, okay, they're, you know, they're, um, um, you know, okay, why would Pharaoh be impressed? And see, the whole thing here has to do with Pharaoh being a god. Um, and the plagues are also relevant to various gods of Egypt and, and 
a direct attack against them. So it's really a supernatural uh, conflict here between the false gods and the true gods is what's going on with these plagues. And, 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 and Pharaoh doesn't want to admit that, uh, that he is as divine is not more powerful than the other gods and, uh, or, or than the real God. I mean, the other Egyptian gods are weaker than the real God. So, but the first several plagues, then the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then when you get to the sixth plague, the skin boils, when there are boils that break out uh, on people all over Egypt. It says in verse 12 of chapter 9, But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And we saw where the Lord had spoken to Moses back in chapter 4. You know, he had told Moses, this is what's going to happen. Now, uh, if you go over to, to the end of the seventh plague is hail and thunderstorm. And if you go over to verse 34, and when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardened his heart. The sixth plague, God hardens his heart. Now the seventh plague, it says that Pharaoh uh, hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of the Pharaoh was hard. So, so it refers back to the fact that Pharaoh is responsible for hardening his own heart. But then uh, the next line, and keep in mind the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. So chapter 10, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants. So even though, I, I guess what I'm saying is that you have the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardens it, or his own heart. Then God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and it appears as though there's an exception to that in the seventh plague. But if you really read the whole thing in context, it clearly isn't, because when it refers, um, in, if you read the whole section there about Pharaoh's heart being hardened, God confirms that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so um, the rest of the plagues, you know, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And so the thing that I think is, is, has always been intriguing to me about that is just the fact that Pharaoh, a couple things. One is Pharaoh as a god is trying to be more in control than the true God. In other words, it's a, it's a battle with the God of Israel for Pharaoh that he wants to win. And clearly he's losing. And we know from the backstory of the text about the hardening of the heart that Pharaoh doesn't acknowledge or recognize or give in to the fact that his heart and his life is in control of the God of Israel, Yahweh, the God who had revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. So that's the one thing. There's a, there's a divine battle going on here, so to speak, in that sense of the word. And, of course, 
the true God always wins. But the second piece is I've always viewed this, and different people have different perspectives based upon their presuppositions about the sovereignty of God and whatever else. But taking it face value without having to read into it based on any preliminary conclusions or, or preferences or presuppositions, it, it, it appears really obvious to me that God knew Pharaoh, you know, God in his foreknowledge knew that Pharaoh would not believe and would not humble himself and surrender. But God in his mercy, you know, at least extended him that opportunity. But when Pharaoh consistently resisted the mercy of God and, and correspondingly the the, the grace of God to give him the chance to repent, then God finally says, okay, pal, I'm going to affirm your choice. You're, you're going to, this is going to be the way it's going to come down. Um, and, and I think that's a sobering lesson for us um, that there is a, there's a window in not only in the timetable of the, of the world from when, you know, God, Christ comes again and the final judgment and so forth. There's a window of salvation that we're now living in now where it's possible for people to turn. But at one point, that window is going to close. And obviously it closes for anybody who dies before then. I, I get that. But but this there's also apparently from what I see from God's dealing with Pharaoh during these plagues is that and, and it's for each individual. Only God knows a person's heart. This, But at the very least, if somebody hears the call of God and they, they see the opportunity to come to, they shouldn't take that for granted or assume there's going to be another chance. That's, that's my whole point, is that Pharaoh is proof that if, if a person rejects the message of forgiveness and deliverance through Jesus that there's no that they have no right or entitlement to hearing it another time or endless times that at some point God may say okay I'm cutting you off this is done I'm you know I've given you the opportunity and and that seems to be the the mo with Pharaoh, and so uh, you know. In other words, you've heard people say, "Well, I mean, I haven't heard this recently, but I've heard it said before." Well, I'd really rather wait till I'm older to make a decision for Christ because I want to have a good time. Well, first of all, that doesn't that's they don't understand what deciding. I don't know what sinners do for fun, you know. Um, you know, I. I don't want to get into that, but my point is that um, God will not strive with people forever, and we have no right to assume that we're going to have multiple chances. And if we do, we better take them because it's going. To, if we don't, it's even going to make judgment more severe. Too much is given, much is required.
Let me read a note in the study Bible, and we'll, we'll wind up with that. Uh, in the study Bible that I was looking at, it had a, a note. Um, it, it says, uh, What then is the significance of the statements that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? It is important to remember that the Exodus is a conflict between two rival religious systems and that the Egyptians considered the Pharaoh to be the incarnation of the supreme God. If that were so, he would be able to do anything he wished in completely sovereign freedom, but it is not so. There is only one God, and he is the Lord. In all the universe, he is the only one whose freedom is absolutely without limit. Thus, the Old Testament asserts in a simple and concrete way that Pharaoh is not God and does not have absolute freedom. His actions must always be carried out within the context of the nature and the character of the true God. The admonition for today is guard your choice as well. If you continue the wrong choices long enough, you may come to the point where you lose your capacity to choose any other way. You remember when God sent Israel to Egypt, he had told uh, Abraham in chapter 5 of Genesis when he made the covenant with him, he said, course it was Abram at that time he said that his people would be um, in Egypt and it comes out to 400 years until the sin of the Amorites which stood for everybody um, in the whole country all the different tribes in other words God waited until those people in that land till their sin reached a point of no return before he called the people out of Israel to take the land away from them and give it to the people of Israel in justice because of their passing the point of no return. And so the, the same principles at work here is that God knows people's heart. And if we reject the opportunity uh, to serve him, then we're, we're really in a dangerous place. And I know you're in Bible talk. You've made a decision for Christ. I trust that's true. If you haven't, then do it now. But I say that as a sobering reminder for all of us uh, as we pray for people and as we interact with them. I think this is a good lesson for us. So, Lord, thank you for the fact that you are not a God to be taken for granted and that your gift of eternal life is not something that we're entitled to or should presume upon that we should trust you by faith of complete surrender to receive your gift of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. And thank you that you delivered Israel out of Egypt, but thank you for the message that it gives us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again. See you next time.